Unger the Radar, bringing movies and people together, one frame at a time. Hey guys, I'm Randy Unger in another episode of Unger the Radar, bringing movies and people together, one frame at a time. And I have with me a wonderful panel, as always. We have uh, Miss Erica A. Erica, welcome back to the show. Hey, Randy. Glad to be here. It's been a long you. time, hasn't it? Well, here I am, even though it's about time to reach the new year. Isn't yes. it amazing? Hey, thank you. Happy New Year, by the way, to everybody uh, on this panel, this wonderful panel tonight. Uh, also with us again, Ivy Lofberg. Welcome back, Ivy. Hey, great <laughs> to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And with us for the first time, Mr. Alan Imperio. Hey, Alan, how's it going? Going great. Thank you for having me for the first time. Happy New Year to everybody. Yes. Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. Uh, Happy New Year. This is actually the first episode of 2024. So really special, really uh, happy that you guys can be here for this. And we have a lot to discuss. The first film we're going to be discussing is Poor Things. And this is the latest collaboration between director, filmmaker Yorgos Lanthimos. I can never remember that name. I had to read it right now. But uh, between uh, Mr. Lanthimos and the great uh, Academy Award winning actress Emma Stone, their first film was The Favorite, which we're going to get into uh, after this review. But Poor Things is just a wonderful, strange fantasy, uh, dramedy, romantic adventure about a young girl, I believe it is in Victorian London. Uh, basically, she plays this young woman who commits suicide and is soon uh, resurrected by a Frankenstein-like uh, doctor played by the great Willem Dafoe. And he has resurrected Emma Stone's corpse and is now uh, basically raising her as his own. And it's just hilarious the uh, the way she's her movements her speech patterns and how she's kind of evolving and maturing and growing into an actual person and it is so out there it's so bizarre I really need to watch this movie again because I'm I I just love it so much right now it's number one on my top ten list of the year and I'm not sure I don't know if it's going to stay that way but right now it's it's very fresh in my mind it's a very strong film and I think. Emma Stone and Yorgos Lanthimos knocked it out of the park. So, Alan, since you are new to the show and you worked at the theater I saw this movie in, what was yep. your take on uh, Poor Things? I love the filmmaker's choice to blend the cinematography and the plot points to both grow with the character of Emma Stone. I, uh, from somebody who's a big nerd on technicals, I <laughs> loved how it went from a four by three to widescreen from black and white to color. Yeah. And the and I love how he used anamorphic lenses to really show the growing and pain points of uh, Emma Stone's character. I love the the the, um, the fisheye uh, shots, which um, they used more of that in uh, the favorite. But... It's more fishbowl, not fisheye. That it's what I, is it fishbowl, not fisheye. Well, you... uh, it, de- it 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 depends on the lens. I just know he used anamorphic lenses, and uh, mm-hmm. it depends. It's a new type of lens, and I don't have my okay. notes because, but uh, <laughs> but it it was a great choice to really highlight those points that make people learn, right? And that 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 stick with your memory, and uh, a lot of it was trauma. 
that that uh really happened in those moments and i thought that was uh a great choice because it really put you in the hyper realistic moment of those of of those uh scenes yeah i agree with that the the, the and the visual style is really great as well um the, the scenes on that on that sh that that cruise where it looks like it's like in a different planet i, I love mm -hmm. that i love mm -hmm. the, the the choice of background for the sky and the water and just everything about that 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 sequence was fantastic i also want to mention uh the score by Jerskin Fendricks, who it really mirrored Emma Stone's like the way she's like it was like if you could put a sound to the way she's thinking, that would be it. That was perfect. It was like twangy. It was strange. It was off key, and it was just it was it, dissident. Yeah, it it just fit her personality so well. Um, so I love the score in this. Um, Erica, what did you think of the film? I thought the film was brilliant. The cinematography was done really well. Also the costume design, because mm -hmm. I know you gave your description, but I would say it's a period drama and comedy where it's not quite a period drama. It's not quite, and some scenes goes period comedy, but, and it also has the romance like any period piece should. So mm -hmm. they create the era of the costume. But one thing kept bothering me. Why does no one look at her funny when she forgets the bottom half of her skirt? when she goes outside sometimes because everyone else is walking with the full floor left skirt and there she is and suddenly her knees are showing and I'm like no one looks twice at her and questions it because she doesn't know better right but I found the casting well done and I enjoyed the movie apart from one aspect mm. the movie anyone who's as squeamish as I am the movie is going to freak you out from the very first scene. <laughs> Those scars, that makeup was so intense. Right. I was like, can't look. I'm Okay, I can look again. And then suddenly we're back to doing doctoring things. And I'm like, eh, no, don't look. <laughs> Such a brilliant movie that I was so, I'm like, put your hands down. But I'm like, now I can't look again. <laughs> Yeah, the the makeup in question, I, I'm, I believe you're talking about uh, Willem Dafoe. Yes, uh, he, he looked fantastic. I mean, he, he... looked so realistic. Yeah. It was and it was so perfect as they worked it into his plot. And he always talked about the scars. And I'm in the theater, sitting there reacting the way he's describing people would act in public. Mm -hmm. If he goes out, I'm like, you can't look away, but you can't really look because it just looks so intense and in your face believable it's, it's a little much because and and Willem Dafoe's face without makeup is kind of scary in a, in a good way he doesn't really need much else to to elicit but such an built effect. the character in my opinion that we don't see his face at all he is he has faded away into the cut into the whole costume and the makeup and the mm -hmm. and it looks real it's not computerized it doesn't look like some sort of piece together thing it looks like you really are there yeah they did a great job for sure oh erica absolutely i got dr monroe vibes when they mm -hmm. showed those chimeras all throughout that oh first yes it, it, it really freaked me out i think it might be equal to that of maestro because i think they did a great job uh on bradley cooper on, on his portrayal of leonard bernstein the makeup effects in that film were also great, so I'm I'm curious which film. Uh, hopefully, one of the two will 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 get some awards this uh, season. So we'll see.
True. Um, they do deserve it more than some of the others in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Ivy, you're up. Yeah, I, I really agree with what everyone's sharing. I really agree with what Alan was sharing about really love, well, I love the film. And I really love too it how the cinematography reflected how she saw the world as she was mm -hmm. growing up. And what I really loved about it too were just like the politics of like really realizing that um, like the the men who are interested in her at these different stages of her life was really incredibly interesting to reflect the way that she saw the world. You know, like she really at that time of her development was still a child and saw the world as this really magical place, you know, in this wild place. And Mark Ruffalo was so incredible as Duncan and he, and that he was attracted to that. And he was attracted to someone with a child's mind. And, you know, I, I loved how it showed, like, as she started to progress and she really just grew up and she really just started to form her mind in his mind. She, it was like she uh, she was a demon and she was really just developing as a person um, and becoming interested in, in new things. And I love too how that continued to be reflected in how you're watching the movie and you're really watching this um, per, you know child become a full grown woman. And by the end, you know, she's like sitting in her menagerie and everything is is realistic even though it's this crazy world yeah. she lives in it's not any fantastical kind of of filmmaking she's just very integrated like this is who she is now and this is her world now and it reflects by just having you know very pretty traditional cinematic um filmmaking at that at that point and I just thought it was just incredibly brilliant I thought the the politics so around um you know around this like very broken man you know from his father kind of not <laughs> knowing any better than to pass kind of that along and and um it's very deep movie I I feel like it's one of those movies you probably could study in a film class uh, um, and just go layer by layer. There's just so much in in it. Uh, we could probably talk for hours about it. <laughs> I know, I know. I, and yeah, you could really pick apart uh, Lanthimos's films because they're so psychological. They're so deep. There's so many messages flying around. When you compare too many of them, they really, you can see his style coming through. It's not so much you can that you can do it, that it starts to overlap. I think that they're stronger alone. I mean, the dance sequence in it, I could see his style so strong in it. Yeah. I but, don't know. I mean, it's weird because they, they all have, they all share very similar uh, themes and, and, and styles, but mm -hmm. each, each of his films, I've, I've seen a, a handful of, uh, of his, of his movies. And while they're all very similar, they're all very different too. Um, I want to go back stories. To, yeah. The lobster and killing of a sacred deer, the um, the lack of emotion is very prevalent and strange. And I actually, uh, I read from another critic that his films, particularly those two, I feel, um, are kind of like, uh, you know, aliens from a different planet landing on earth. And that's how they would act. <laughs> <laughs> but, but with, but with, but with, 
Poor Things and The Favorite, I think the, the performances, the characters are a little more grounded in reality, even though the, the story is, you know, <laughs> bonkers. But yeah, um, and also Ivy, you made a good point. Yeah, so she does, uh, she is resurrected as basically a child. She's got a, a, a it's, it's Emma Stone's body with a, a, a baby's brain. And it's the way she does it, the way she plays the role is so perfect. It's so funny and kind of heartbreaking. Also very disturbing that um, the doctor's uh, protege wants to marry her. And then soon after, uh, Mark Ruffalo's character wants to court her while she's basically a child. <laughs> so it's oh, like... that really bothered me so much. because <laughs> They dropped the hard R on her. I'm not going to repeat the word, but I thought that was a very bold writing choice. And then two minutes, five minutes later, he's like, oh, I love her. And I'm like, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. taking advantage of somebody from it's my point really, of view. It's basically, they're like sexual predators. They're molesting this poor girl. And I don't know. I thought the young doctor character was the victim in it all. He oh, yeah. was the person who everyone at school victimized and pointed out. And the doctor, when he's the person who can disappear, that no one will notice. Mm -hmm. And I can use him like an experiment, just like her, even if his brain works just fine. And I'll test how he reacts to this strange girl who he doesn't even know is actually a small child. Well, I, I also really love, too, that they were about to get married i i felt like all oh, the yeah this he, the wedding yeah. was mm -hmm. a great scene um i really loved that scene where i felt like the apprentice had grown and mm -hmm. when she came back i felt like he really appreciated who she had grown as a person and he saw his he was a self-reflective character a bit i felt like he saw that his attraction to her wasn't wasn't a, a thing that he should stick with and he grew to love her as a woman but i i really love too that she also really knew that she had the courage and the strength to explore who she had been as the other woman and really pursue that relationship and really learn about like oh why you know why did um well basically my mother kill herself mm -hmm. and then she's like oh that's why. And it helped her become a whole person by really having the courage to just ex go in and explore her life. And I just love that portrayal of a female character as well, that she was like, no, no, I, I have the intelligence and the strength <laughs> and presence of mind so, to go with, back with this man and figure oh. it out and know myself better and be- Do we know how like long it took? Oh, I'm sorry. Do we know how long it took her to reach that point, though? Because it's unclear in the movie how many years it's been yeah. that she goes from the small child to the adult. But I loved what you were saying. I was just like, wait, how long does it take her? Does anyone realize? Does I don't think it was ever actually addressed. Like They don't do like one year later uh, or they don't. Yeah, really... they never actually say how long. Yeah. And in the movie, time kind of just it doesn't exist almost. It just passes. But. <laughs> We don't really notice time. But yeah, no, like you were saying that she just grows as a person. I was like, wait, how long does it take her to do it? Um, I think that's just a choice in filmmaking because hmm. when you're growing up, your your time is irrelevant. I mean, as children, we go, I'm five and a half mm -hmm. because that's how we measure time. And then as an adult, it's like five years ago seems like yesterday. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was a, a, a very deliberate choice from the mm -hmm. filmmaker. And I thought it was a very good choice because 
when you're growing, are you really tracking time? Are you tracking moments in your life? Right. Yeah. Because the, the first like 45 minutes to an hour, she is an, a child. So there's really no way of gauging how old she is exactly. Um, you know, she's got the, the, the body of a 30 year old, but her brain is like, we don't really know. So that's a very good question, Erica. I'm, I'm now I'm curious. I need to go back and check it. Yeah. Check Cause it. it's like, she starts as an infant and she right. knows how to make things go bang and she's making a few sounds and words. And then, right. and then she, it's like an exploring kid and she goes and leaves the world yeah. still in the body of a 30 year old. And then, like you said, the whole story of it, and I'm like, wait, but how long does that story take place that she comes back and is fully grown and has lived this whole exciting life? Well, well, what did you all think of the the other girl that they um, were trying to do the same thing with? What, what did you all think about that? That was really interesting. Oh, the, the later on in the movie? Oh, it, well, without giving much away, um, I, I, I'm assuming that's the, the 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 second half of the film, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like. I thought uh, that that character was uh, strong, good performance. Um, yeah, I don't. I think they could have maybe developed that a little bit more because I think that would have been a, a very interesting relationship to explore. But um, honestly, I could see a sequel here. I wouldn't mind to see more of Bella's uh, Bella's adventure, <laughs> you know. Hey. Erica disagrees with me. <laughs> Erica's like, no. Why don't you make a sequel? You start inserting new characters and you start destroying the canon, and things don't overlap well. And I'm like, but this was such a good movie. I don't know if it needs a sequel. No, um, maybe... Godfather two. So <laughs> That's true. comparing um, this to the Godfather, interesting. Uh, okay, maybe. Cool. <laughs> I'm just or saying, not all sequels are bad. <laughs> no, this is this is a fun. No, some sequels are better than the original. I'm yeah. going to be in the camp of, I, I think this should be a standalone movie mm. because of the exclamation point that happens at the end, which I thought was a very good choice without going to spoilers. With one of the characters we've already discussed. Yeah. It's a very final decision on that character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the movie and does I, wrap things up nicely. Um, but I just want to see more of Bella. I, I thought she was fascinating. I think Emma Stone is a fantastic actress. Uh, I hope she gets a nomination at the Oscars this year. I think she has a, a nomination at the Golden Globes. Um, but yeah, she she knocked it out of the park. This is her show. This is her her baby. And I'm really uh, happy that she made this movie. And I'm happy about Yorgos Lanthimos. He's great. Um, there's so I, I want we only have a, a, a little bit of time, but I just wanted to discuss another uh collaboration between uh Yorgos and Emma, and that's a movie that came out in 2018 called The Favorite, which uh I thought was fantastic. I watched a bunch of the other Yorgos films, and this might be on par with Poor Things, in my opinion. This was just a fantastic movie, and I thought. I think it was near perfect. It had fantastic performances from uh, Rachel Weiss mm -hmm. uh, and Olivia Coleman. Uh, Coleman plays the queen of this um, time period. I think it's a, it's 1705 in England. And basically the whole movie is a power struggle between who is the queen's favorite. Is it Emma Stone or is it Rachel Weiss? And you've got your signature Yorgos Lanthimos uh, style. And it's 
funny, it's scary, it's heartbreaking, and it's just genuine. Like the sets and the costume design alone are fantastic. And real quick, I wanted to see what you guys thought of the favorite uh, and specifically uh, compared to uh, Poor Things. What'd you think, uh, Ivy? Yeah, I I really love the favorite so much. I, I love that he shows that he can make a very straightforward film. Like the, the favorite, <laughs> the, the story is very easy to follow. It's a very traditional plot and it's incredibly strong and a more traditional classic filmmaking. And I, I really admire a director who's willing to do these really wild experimental films and then do a film that's like, I can also do this and I can do it really well. And I can um, really make an incredible story that you you're not not going to forget and so i i really love then that his next film is this wild uh departure um and he was like just someone who's like really celebrating their range and is really knocking out of the park with that kind of range i think is really extraordinary and i i think uh olivia coleman in it is outstanding it's worth it just to see her performance is something that uh, i still think about all the time i would say you you would be hard pressed to say that those two films were made by the same person which i think is pretty incredible and just considering the quality of, of both of them so really love them both i know um just this movie alone coupled with poor things he is pretty high on my list of favorite working filmmakers right now. Um, you know, I, I mentioned- He's your uh, favorite. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, good. Nicely done. Nicely like, done. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I also wanted to mention um, cinematographer Robbie Ryan, who did both films. And it's just such so crazy. Uh, I, I Now I'm going to- really watch for this uh this dp now because their their eye is really something special we mentioned the the fishbowl the fish eye it's very prevalent here in the favorite and of course poor things and i think in poor things uh we just get a just a, a, a wider scale of of sets set design camera work and direction in it. all these elements just come together beautifully and i really i i i am a yorgos lanthimos fan so this man can at this point do no wrong. Hopefully I didn't just jinx it, but knock on wood. Yes, yes. Alan, what what did you think of the favorite? I definitely saw the fingerprints of of both uh Randy and Yagos because from mm. a technical side, from the nerd side as a filmmaker, I <laughs> loved how there were deliberate choices in uh the the camera use and the stock use because when it was a bright sunny day, it looked very clear. And when it had to be dark and menacing, you really, you really chose film that had the grainy uh, texture to it. And I love that uh, the choice in stock was a, 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 to match the plot. And you don't get that a lot in today's cinema where it's like, all right, we're just going to have a red camera for every shot because we have this camera. And uh, as somebody who's a film nerd, I was so happy that they actually took the time for pre-production to be like, oh, we're going to choose these shots. We're going to do these things because it adds to the story. Uh, so I, 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 I'm I, a big fan. So with, yeah, with the favorite, it's like every shot seems like it was so carefully 
planned and, mm-hmm. and laid out and like he Fiorgos is a, is an, an artist he's an auteur I I I I can't get enough of his, of his style. It's just so cool. But Erica, last but not least, what did you think of? Uh, oh, two- I'm a big fan of the favorites. Back mm-hmm. when it first came out, and I was so excited for the Academy Award for Best Actress when no one expected her to win. As a cinematographer and movie maker and writer, I could see that, like you said, all the angles, but also I can see so much of the favorite in Poor Things, at least when I was watching it as a media 100%. Expert, yeah. I love my period piece dramas. I loved like the White Queen and the Tudors mm-hmm. and Versailles. And I'm look and this definitely as a movie belongs up there with mm-hmm. telling of Queen Anne and you have the one family, the Spencers, who are still relevant today, ironically, with huh. Diana Spencer. And then you have the other family that's working their way up into her <clears throat> court. And the whole way he tells the story, the costumes are his own design, but you can also see the period in it. Mm-hmm. You can see the wigs as everything is changing and you can see the color, fashion, and the whole movie just still lives up to it today. Yeah. And movies like this, period pieces, uh, typically are kind of dull, kind of stuffy. And no, boring. they're not. Well, the ones I've seen. Okay. But- this this one is it's fresh it's original and i have not seen a movie like it ever since so again i hope yorgos continues to deliver uh quality cinema and yeah the favorite it's it's just fantastic and again it it, it did take me out of that that lobster uh killing of a sacred deer mindset where all the characters like just don't really show much emotion and are kind of like doing things just for the sake of doing it. And they don't really have uh, object clear objectives. And it's just like very ambiguous. This movie it's quirky and weird and it's fun and it is very well acted. Congratulations on Olivia Coleman on her Oscar. She definitely deserved it for this. So that was awesome. So with that said, Poor Things is currently out in theaters, probably at your local art house theater. Um, and yeah, check it out. It's just a good time. It's it's so different, so out there. And again, Emma Stone, you know, knocks it out of the park. Before you guys go, I wanted to mention real quick, uh, number two after the uh, poor things on my list of top 10 best movies of 2023, The Holdovers is now out on uh, Blu-ray, uh, DVD, digital. Uh, check that out. It is a wonderful, wonderful film from the great mind of Alexander Payne, another auteur who I pretty much discovered this year and I'm, I'm obsessed with. And he's just a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, so The Holdovers is now out on home video. So check that out. And as for plugs, uh, guys, uh, take it away. Alan, you're new. You go first, sir. Uh, nothing to plug right now. But if anybody's going to MAGFest later in January in D.C., can't wait to see you there. Cool. MAGFest? What, what is, uh, is that? It a stands for Music and Gaming Festival. It's a three-day okay. party at the Gaylord Resorts where cool. gamers come together to celebrate the music of games. Really? And it's basically, yeah, it's a concert after concert in the main hall. If you want to do VR work, you can. If you want to do LAN, you can. If you want to play classic games, you can. If you want to meet developers who make arcade games, you can. And is it also like uh, composers of video game scores? Uh, they do have them on occasion mm. as uh, speakers. 
but you have uh, musicians take those scores and arrange it into quartets, into rock, into ska. Oh, nice. I wish that w if they ever did something with um, the Metal Gear Solid 2 score, because and, and I think Metal Gear Solid 3, I think they were both done by Harry Gregson Williams, who's a, an acclaimed Hollywood composer. Uh, I would love to be there for that if they play that live, <laughs> for sure. It depends on the metal band or yeah. the quartet. They definitely, right. I've, I've definitely heard uh, Power Glove uh, do some covers of Metal Gear Solid. Cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look, look into that. Thank you for sharing that, Alan. Cool. Uh, Erica, anything you'd like to plug? Well, nothing right now. It's that time of the year where I Spanish for a few months. So by the time I come back, maybe I'll have some of that publishing stuff. Because as I said, I'm a writer. And mm -hmm. besides doing the video and, and making movies or trying to and writing my own stuff, I have been in touch with someone who wants to publish some of my stuff. But oh. unfortunately, that has to be on hold because it's this time of the year. I'll be busy. Gotcha. Well, that's exciting, though. Uh, we look forward to hearing more about that whenever you can divulge that information. And Ivy, any plugs for you? Uh, I'll just plug my Instagram. It's my name at Ivy Lofberg. And I do something on there called the Film Remedy, where I set a theme for the month. And I just uh, post yeah. movies that are uh, that theme. And January is joy and inspiration. So I, I post films that I find represent that theme. So it's a, it's a fun follow. Can we get a sneak peek as the next uh, next post? I haven't decided yet. There's so many. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. All right. And as for me, uh, if you want to catch uh, new episodes of Under the Radar, tune in on Slam Radio on SiriusXM uh, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Also, you can check out uh, video versions of the podcast on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. And that is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, 8 a.m. Pacific. And so check that out. And also feel free to go on to uh, the Unger the Radar YouTube channel, uh, subscribe and share. So guys, thank you uh, so much for tonight for being uh, a part of the first Unger the Radar episode mm -hmm. of 2024. And hopefully... Woo! Thank you so much, Randy. <laughs> yes, Yay, guys. 2024. We made and, uh, it. Many, and many more to come, many more. So uh, I'm Randy Younger. This has been Younger the Radar, bringing movies and people together one frame at a time. We'll see you next time. Take care.